Our US Open coverage is sponsored by AG1. AG1 is the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. And as part of our US Open coverage, Joel and I are taking a little AG1 challenge of our own and we'll be updating you on our AG1 journey and how it's improving our health and wellness. So Joel, we've got started. How are you finding it? I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit nervous. I was a little bit sceptical at first, but I got my flask, put one scoop in, added water, shook it all about. And do you know what? It actually tastes pretty good. Yeah, I was surprised because normally the healthier something is, the worse it tastes. But for me, what I like is I've got a cupboard of vitamins that it's been able to replace. So that's just one product I can take in the morning. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash tennis weekly. That's drinkag1.com forward slash tennis weekly. Check it out. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's US Open Round 2 Catch-Up, sponsored by AG1. Wozniacki stuns Kvitova. Sissipas falls to Stricker. And last year's finalist, Kasper Ruud, is sent packing. Chris, today is the 31st of August and we are here to catch up on round two of the US Open at Tennis Weekly HQ. It's all very exciting here because although I am recording from London, you are actually on site in Flushing Meadows. That's probably why our listeners can hear a little bit of ambience in the background. Um, just just, just talk to me. What, what has happened? Where are you? What have you seen? It's all good. It all happened very quickly, didn't it, Joel? One minute I was recording the preview, having no idea I was coming to New York. The next minute I'm sat watching Venus Williams on Arthur Ashe. (laughs) I don't know how it happened, but now I can update you that I am just behind Cam Norrie's court um, and Ostapenko is also very nearby. So I'm a bit wary that I don't want to get angry that I'm interrupting her play by talking too loudly. (laughs) Well, Um, I mean, I feel like the, 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 the US audience US spectators in Flushing Meadows from what we've seen so far it doesn't almost doesn't matter that you're creating a bit of noise near the court it's just it's just part of the scenery right it really is I think it's so strange and obviously you've been here Joel so you know but no one stops talking during points it's a constant ambient noise (laughs) it actually means it's quite hard to tell if like Daniel Collins is hitting the ball hard or not Um, (laughs) it's really strange you don't get that thud that you get on um, a silent Wimbledon centre court or the French Open I mean, it is, I think, I'm correct in saying this is your first time um, at the US Open. What, as a fan, what has been uh, the atmosphere like being there? You know, all the British success we've had over the last couple of days. When you stepped foot um, into the site, uh, what were your first impressions? Um, Well, firstly, I'd like to apologise to all Andy Murray fans because I have been the kiss of death. Um, the only <laughs> Brit that I've seen is Andy Murray and he lost so I'm going to stay away from the rest of them I might not watch Norrie after this but um, I, I'm not having the best track record there but in terms of the fan experience uh, I would recommend coming straight from the airport because it does break up the journey into Manhattan and I knew that from last time when I'd driven past it so I got a cab straight from the airport um, so I said one long day that ended in Arthur Ashtart in Copenhagen so for me I mean it couldn't have been um, easier in that respect but in terms of the overall 
fan experience. People are up for a good time here. You know, it's cocktail hour all around the clock. So, <laughs> what's the drink like, of choice? Mm. What's the drink of choice? We've not got pims. We've not got strawberries and cream. What do we have? Oh, I'm going to have to do some research. Judy Murray was posting about it. It's some sort of a tequila-based cocktail. Oh, okay. Which I think okay. has... Is it some... I'll have to double-check. It's, it's not a Hugo, juice. is it? No, I'll, I'll check in. I'll, I'll get a proper recipe <laughs> back to Kim. Maybe we, you need to suggest that to the, uh, to the US Open bartenders. Yeah, I think that would go down really bad. And they'd probably charge me $35 for it, yes. like everything else here. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm saving my pennies and maybe I'll, um, I'll have a beer here and there. Well, I mean, it's great to hear that you are out there um, on behalf of Tennis Weekly doing the fan experience. We, of course, are going to talk about some of the tennis you have seen so far. I have been staying up late as well, watching from home. Um, And before we talk about all the action from round two, I just want to address a couple of things we weren't able to talk about in our round one catch up because of uh, time zone, New York, London, etc. And you already touched on it. Venus Williams... Um, you were there for this. Venus Williams against Greet Minnan. Greet Minnan double breadsticking Venus Williams 6 1 6 1. I, I know Ooh, that Venus ball, Williams. A tennis ball's just bounced out, um, almost hit me, listeners. I cannot make this up. So, yes, Venus Williams did get breadstick, but I'm under attack for maybe that was an Ostapenko. Um, someone wasn't. Ball. Someone had heard. I, someone wasn't happy about me talking about Venus Williams in such a way. But I mean, what 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 happened there? Explain what was going on. Was was the crowd in just a state of shock? I mean, I was very surprised with that scoreline when I woke up next morning. Yes. Um, to mean explain about the scoreline or the ball that almost hit me. Um, I'm okay. For anyone who is concerned, <laughs> thanks for your concern, Joel. Um, no, what happened was. I think Venus had a lot of health issues coming into this and as we've talked about previously she is towards the end of her career um, and I think for her it was a goal to play. I'm not sure that she was able to make it competitive and for me personally I think when you reach a point where it's that difficult and there are the doctors that are involved to try and get you onto court, if you're not able to play at a level of competitive tennis that you should be able to, I think as much as I relish the opportunity seeing her and went straight from the airport to try and catch a glimpse. Um, it's not the same as watching her in her heyday. It, it is almost a farewell tour in some ways, it feels like. And I think even kind of her biggest fans, and I count myself as one of them, would probably hope that she didn't um, continue if she wasn't able to be competitive against a player um, who isn't necessarily known to be the giant no. killer, although she did beat Muguruza at Wimbledon last year um, in Greek Minin. So it's, it's a big shame for her that she wasn't able to do more. But at the same time, she provides some iconic moments, some iconic fashion, um, Actually, Venus Williams. So, who's not going to give her a wild card? That is very true, and I feel like I'm going through the same tribulations at the moment with Andy Murray because the performance he put out um, against Grigor Dimitrov, which we'll, we'll get on to, really that was up there. I feel with one of the worst like slam performances um, of his career, and I feel like I probably could say the same about Venus Williams. But um, I mean, let's say get on to kind of talking about Andy Murray and all the Brits. Let's just revel actually in the British bonanza that was round one singles seven out of seven wins um again who who saw this coming the fact that none of them dropped sets either this was this was a fantastic opening couple of days that again we didn't really get to kind of revel in on our on our round one pod because it was still all in motion yeah I think it was the first time since 1977 or something like that which actually feels quite recent um when you think about it, um, mm. I can't. I can't name seven, seven players that were active there. No. 
so I mean maybe Sue Barker I can definitely name her she's Sue Barker was just in the draw seven times yeah maybe it was yeah I mean probably (laughs) and she probably won it Um, but no I think what was um, particularly impressive about it was that it was all on one day so when you were talking about it the live results were happening and normally I think all British fans will um, concur we don't often win in straight sets and even Murray won his first round in straight sets before he then lost in straight sets in the next one so it was great and I think um, when you look at where British tennis kind of was especially the women's side of the tennis um, I mean just a few months ago it's amazing how far they've come and they've got some fantastic results that do answer some of those critics and we have been known to question at times if we're performing as well as yeah. we should so they've definitely answered that question and some fantastic results from the British number one and British number two which result for you in that first round from the Brits stood out as the most fantastic of, of all those achievements? Ooh, that's a good question. I would probably say um, probably Jodie Burridge, actually. Yeah, she I agree. She yeah, she didn't have phenomenal form coming in and she she needs to be on for it to be a good match for her. And she I mean, Blinkova's ranked, I think she was like 40-odd spots above her and... I think she also acknowledged, like, she felt the pressure of the fact that she was so, she was fully aware that six other Brits had won, had come and won. And she was like, well, I can't, I can't let the side down. Yeah, and I mean, Jack Draper came out of retirement for this almost on his. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's a bit harsh, but no, and he's through to the the third round now as well, um, defending those points from last year. So I think one of my highlights of the pod last year was when, Kim had to say Jack Draper makes it a night to remember but it looks like he might again and this time I mean all of the results have been impressive in that first round and the second round it's not been seven from seven but no one's put um, well actually apart from Andy Murray um, everyone's put in a good performance definitely and uh, I mean we do have we have had already British success in round two so let's let's actually start with with that and uh, as you alluded to Jack Draper he is into the third round he defeated Hubert Herkaj today 6-2-6-4-7-5 Hubert Herkaj maybe a little bit under the weather but this was a great performance from Draper a player I personally thought shouldn't have played the US Open because of uh, you know the injury troubles he's been through recently it feels like every time he steps on court he's really putting his body on the line and I'm I'm almost nervous if he's actually going to make it through you recommended him to skip this one Joel. yes I know <laughs> exactly but he he played so well against Herkaj who is such a can be such a formidable formidable opponent and even if he doesn't look 100% with the serve and the one-two punch that he can deliver um, you know when when it is his service games it's still quite a tough opposition to face yeah I mean I put him in the Radicani camp of when they're fit they can beat anybody um, or have a great match against anybody really test mm. them and um, he, he did so well and you know for him it's so important to get it done in straight sets he talked about the physical issues and he did it got a bit tight you know the second set he was up a double break and yeah. he didn't and get it done as, as well, quickly actually. Yeah, exactly. So um, he must be very pleased to get it through um, in six sets in two rounds. I mean, with Draper, is is it is the feeling like his tennis is so good at the moment? Actually, there's almost this feeling he needs to get it done in three sets because we just don't know how long his body is going to hold up on it. Yeah, I mean, physicality, the side of things. You know, we've seen with Murray being a tall guy as well took a while for him to kind of get the physical strength that he needed so I don't think it's too much of a concern at this point but I mean the way that he plays he doesn't want long rallies anyway so it would be a bit odd if we were seeing him play you know all these five set back to back he's no Carlos Alcaraz in that sense he's going to grind you down he needs to almost hit you off the court 
Yes, I agree. And I love the fact that you've just got like the staff transporting things around you. Wheels are turning. I can hear it on the pod. There's also a gust of wind as well. Is it quite windy there today? It is quite a breezy day. I mean, it's very sunny. Um, but I mean, the humidity's dropped, the wind has come in. So I'd say bring a light jacket, you'll be fine. But Joel, I remember in Paris, I almost had clearer audio. I found a fantastic spot in this almost like sound booth to record on site. Um, so here I'm just trying to make those noises you think you're hearing. They're just me banging the table to try and make it seem a bit more earthy. Um, we're trying. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. I mean, we did have a win for Jack Draper. We also have had a win for Katie Balter as well, who's into round three. Um, and on she court defeated, now in the doubles. And she's up. on court now in the doubles. Well, exactly. But in the singles, she came through in three sets, five, seven, six, one, six, four against Wang of China. Uh, she's been in unbelievable form uh, this year has amassed a pretty impressive record coming into US Open took out Caroline Garcia but Katie Balter stopped her in her tracks really tough match for for Balter it could have really gone one way or the other but yeah Balter through to the third round this was this was a very impressive result from her yeah I was really impressed I think for me losing that first set against someone with the expectation I didn't think she'd come through it and she really problem solved so those matches might not have gone her way had she not had the belief that she has this year and her rankings going up and the results are there to match it so um, of the second round matches I think for me that's the, the really impressive one because uh, she didn't panic at all she responded um, and that's what kind of makes some of the best players and what makes the top 50 players so I was really impressed by her I mean she had set points in that first set and you know, she had first strike um, opportunities, but failed to take them. And I, yeah, I did wonder how she was going to respond. But the fact that she came out, put that to one side and then steamrolled her opponent in that second set, 6-1, it, I think it just showed, you know, her mentality and her, you know, her belief that, right, I can put that to one side. Yes, it's disappointing, but let's move on. And um, yeah, her opponent really just didn't have an answer until that third set, which was a little bit more competitive. Yeah, and in windy conditions, we've seen um, Bolter struggle sometimes. Um, it can be a bit difficult because she's a big hitter, low margin, and it seemed like she was able to manage the conditions really well. So I think for her, coming through like that, she's got to have a lot of belief um, going to the next round. And who's to say that she can't make a, an even deeper run here? I know. I mean, she's in a very nice part of the draw, you would say. Peyton Stearns up, yeah. in the third round. I mean, she's hit 68 winners in two matches which just shows I think what we already know in terms of her kind of ball striking capabilities from the back of the court and I do think you know the way she plays does suit um, the courts of, of Flushing Meadows very very nicely wow. 68 winners that's a lot more than Murray he's 16 today so <laughs> at least she's hit enough winners for both of them I mean just talking about um, her ranking I think this result puts her on the cusp of the top 50 interestingly i spoke to her earlier in the season at surbiton alluding to her ranking and where um she, she could go and this is what she had to say about it and you're just talking about your ranking that being one of your targets what is your goal in terms of where would you like to see yourself at the end of the grass court season in terms of those look i i think it's easy to put numbers on it and and it's not ever been a focus of mine of course i want to be I want to be 50 in the world, but I have to be realistic at the same time. Um, you know, we have an opportunity with Wimbledon having points again to hopefully pick up some points. And um, I think I'm just going to cherish each week that I play and 
really hope that I can gain some momentum. I think, you know, last year I didn't play Surbiton, I didn't have a chance to, so I'm just grateful to actually have played four matches this week. I think that's a, a huge step in the right direction after playing a lot of tennis recently. I'll just repeat that for you, Chris. She said, I want to be 50 in the world, but I have to be realistic at the same time. I mean, does this mean, you know, with the results we've seen from her in, in, at the US Open, she should be looking beyond, you know, or, or resetting what she feels is, feels is realistic given where we're at in the second half of the season? I mean, such a marked change from the Billie Jean King Cup in terms of her expectations and it seems like almost without the expectations she's, she's got herself there and she's live ranking 50 right now so that must be an incredible moment for her and I think she's someone who everyone has known has the talent a bit like Dan Evans before he really made it big time um, but injuries or different hiccups along the way and she's managed to do it and let's just hope she can stay fit and next season she can start that as a top 50 player that would be I know. Really incredible. That would be amazing. I would still, do you know what? I, I just wish, I still feel like we get into this pattern of, of just talking about Katie, Katie Balter at Billie Jean King Cup at Grand Slams where she does put on a show and I, I you know, feel like she really loves a big court. But I feel like it's those in between passages that we don't, we still don't see enough of her. And I, I sort of challenged her and said that, uh, you know, in, in a pod. Um, you know during the grass court season and I still feel like we're in that situation that although she's up in that top 50 spot she should be on the tour let's be honest like week in week out we still don't really see it do we that's true I do think there is a problem with some of the British women in terms of not playing as frequent the tour as they should not taking Mm. you know some of the less glamorous spots in a WTA 125 and doing you know what Maya Sharif does best but in terms of um Katie, she was out there playing, I liked it, playing an ITF 80 out, I think it was in Japan in a 100 in Korea or maybe the other way round, but she was out there and it's such a big difference to going from that to the third round and having picked up her first WTA title. So, I mean, unbelievable from her and let's hope that she can kind of become a, a real sort of constant presence on the WTA at 250 and 500 level and above. And I mean, another British lady who will have ambitions of playing regularly on the WTA Tour, Jodie Burridge. Um, She lost today to to Irina Sabalenka. Very tough matchup, world number two. I was interested by this match because Burridge had like a a similarly kind of big match, I would say, at Wimbledon against Daria Kasatkina. And it just didn't go very well for her. I don't feel like she handled the occasion like that well um, against a pretty handy um, opponent so I was interested to see how she would handle this you know Arthur Ashe um, assignment and basically see how she got on and I think at the end of the day she didn't really put a foot wrong but she just came up against the Sabalenka who lived up really to kind of world number two in the world yeah she did Um, she played a pretty solid match but she's not the best mover she is a big hitter but she's playing against probably the biggest hitter on the tour so um, a good effort didn't embarrass herself at all will be a big learning curve and let's hope she can do some more in the future and I just want to mention Chris Sabalenka's round one match um, that ended in a little bit of controversy because her opponent Zanevska she represents Belgium is originally from Ukraine Sabalenka was at the net expecting a handshake Zanevska just went straight to her chair didn't give the handshake took Sabalenka by surprise what did you make of that that was the last match of her career so 
in, in my head, I was like, that's quite an interesting way uh, to, to to finish to finish your career. To me, that almost like is like finishing your career on a, on a sour note. Yeah, I think, um, and I've seen kind of reports that she has shaken hands of um, Russians previously, um, that this hasn't been a complete no handshake policy. So for me, I do think that, um, and I've been quite critical of you know when Sabalenka sort of hangs over the net waiting. Um, and she knows handshakes aren't coming. But for this one, I don't think people were as aware. And she must just think, oh, here we go again. Um, I'm at another slam and no one wants to shake my hand again. So I'm sure she's pleased to have managed to maneuver to that one. And um, let's just hope that if there is no handshakes in the future in some of these matches, that they're a little bit more um, well managed and that people are much more aware. <laughs> because that's one thing, and I mean this with love for the crowd here, they don't have a clue what's going on in a tennis match. So. Mm. Um, and they're perfectly happy to boo anyone for anything. So we could have a bit of a situation. I mean, poor Dominic Kupfer, who had to retire, um, the people next to me were booing as loud as they could. And he injured himself in the first, uh, the first game of the match. So um, sympathy is not something that they have here. They want, they want tennis, they paid for it. So they want a handshake, they should get it. And I do appreciate, you know, it probably was a bit confusing. You see Zanevska, Belgium on the board. Um, you're probably a little bit confused. Okay, why? You know, didn't she have a handshake? But because she is Ukrainian-born, she obviously felt like she wanted to kind of stand by, you know, her compatriots like you know, Svitolina and, and, and Kostuk and show that kind of sol- solidarity. So, um, yeah, it was a little bit interesting. I maybe would not have done that in my, in my final match of my career, but, you know, fair enough to her. And finally, I almost forgot, uh, I was so wrapped up, I feel, in, in the British success today of... Jack Draper and Katie Balter. We need to talk about Andy Murray. I'm not going to lie, Chris, you were there for this match uh, against Grigor Dimitrov. I am an Andy Murray fan. This was this was ugly. This is border. This this result was probably bordering on one of the worst slam defeats he's had in a long time. Arguably, I would say in his career. Did it did it feel like that when you were watching it live? Yeah, I mean, it, it did. If I'm honest, uh, he was out of ideas. Um, so many mistakes and Dimitrov was just slicing everything back and Murray wasn't able to kind of take that role as the aggressor um, and kind of hit the ball hard enough and hit through him it was it was pretty painful because it looked like a full-grown conclusion and there wasn't a change of tactics there was a little bit in that third set where he tried to take the ball earlier but I don't think he was kind of prepared to you know play the rallies that long and to have to hit the winners and he didn't pull the trigger quick enough it was it was disappointing, I have to say. And Joel, I mean, the last time you were here, you saw him pick up the trophy. Is that correct? I have been back since, but um, okay. yeah, I've obviously seen him on that court. Uh, you know, 2012 defeat defeat Novak Djokovic uh, for his first Grand Slam title, and um, yeah, again, just you know, going back to talking about Venus Williams at the start, it it, it was a result a lot of people would look at and say. He, you know, he's got a tremendous heart. He's got tremendous belief. He's got tremendous fight in him. But I think the worry is for a player like Murray who doesn't know when to quit. The argument is to say it leads to these situations where people will say, should he, should he have really played that match, or should he really keep going if he's not going to be competitive against someone like Grigor Dimitrov? 
Yeah, or you have to change your game. You know, um, Wozniacki's come back and she's hitting the forehand a lot harder, a lot flatter, she's turned it into a weapon. And the difficulty is, you know, you have to finish the points more quickly the older you get. And I'm not saying that anyone here is old or beyond the point of being able to play tennis, but you can't run around like that retrieving points and play those long rallies and be drawn into them um, with a player who is more physically sort of fit, I would say, at the moment. Um, because at the end of that rally, not only might might have lost it, and that has the negative effect on the scoreline, but also on the mental side of it and the physical side. So it was kind of the worst matchup I've, I've probably seen from Murray in terms of him kind of not being able to do anything um, that brought about some magic. And it was a real shame, but credit to Dimitrov. The tactic was yeah. right, slice, 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 um, drag the points out. And then, you know, when Murray kind of is forced into a sort of uh, difficult position on the court, um, hit, hit a great passing shot. It was um, pretty exemplary, to be honest. It was surprising because, you know, Dimitrov was pushed hard by Alex Molkan. He almost lost, yeah. Yeah, he almost lost in, in that first round. And I thought Murray was going to, you know, make him pay, be you know, be the fresher of the two. But it felt like it was the opposite. And again, similar to you, I was impressed with the game plan that, that Dimitrov brought to the court. I felt like he kept deliberately a lot of the balls low. His slice so backhand low. was so low. I mean, his slice backhand was a real nuisance, I think, throughout. And he really attacked the, the Murray serve, particularly at the start of each set. It just felt like we were kind of waiting, I think, for, for Murray's serve to get broken. So um, I think Grigor Dimitrov had, you know, he, he came out, he did what he wanted to do. And I think probably what helped with that was the fact that he is now coached by Danny Valverde, who was Andy Murray's um, you know, f- former coach. So I wonder if there was a little bit of insider knowledge of, of how to beat you know, Andy Murray that was maybe passed on to, to Dimitrov. I mean, it was the perfect game plan, wasn't it? Keep the ball low. It's real challenge for the footwork. You have to get so low to that ball. Um, you have to make the preparations for it. And a lot of those slices were out to the backhand. So even harder for Murray you know, to get his feet round it with, with the hip replacement. Um, and it was, it was super smart. Um, it felt like he was forcing Murray to be the aggressor and he didn't really have to do anything apart from put the ball back into court, not with a slice. And um, the perfect tactic in any players who are playing Murray in the coming weeks or months, that's what I would recommend doing is watching this match. And we've still got a few more Brits to come. Cam Norrie is on court at the moment, isn't he, Chris? I think he's got set points in the first set against I'm waiting Sue. to hear the cheers I'm right next to it I haven't heard them yet <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping we could just I'm hear the cheers through the, the pod and I'm right next to the court Joel there's something wrong about that but um, oh nope still going that rally I mean we've also got Dan Evans versus Van der Zanschulp, um as well you know we were going into round two seven Brits what, what, what for you was a pass score in terms of out of seven going through to round three I'm looking for three I think half of the courts I'd set at three for them at okay. the moment, we're on one. Yes, I need Norrie and Evans to win in order to hit par. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I mean, maybe, who knows? We'll see what we're, where we're at um, by the end of the episode. I mean, there have been some other results and some other matches as well to look forward to. And one of those is Andre Rublev versus Gael Monfils uh, today, Chris, which that has the potential possibly to be match of the day, I would say. I'm shocked. I think it's on grandstand. Is it? You need to tell me this because I need to make my way over there at some point today. But <laughs> that is the ticket I'm after for later. I think um, I bookmarked that at the start of the week. That in Kvitova versus Wozniacki, which we'll get to a bit later. Um, 
I mean, we've had some pretty, pretty exciting sort of second mm. round and first rounds. There's been some pretty marquee matches that have been on display so far, and this promises to be a good one. Just a shame it's not kind of under the lights. It might be um, under the, the floodlights, but not under the lights of Arthur Ashe, when I think that really could have um, set the, the biggest stage in tennis alight. I can confirm it is on grandstand, so I expect to see you. I expect to see you later, yeah, because certainly that will be a treat. Um, elsewhere today, we've had Samsonova come through, uh, Chingwen Zheng as well, um, Yannick Sinner and Taylor Fritz have also won in straight sets. Chris, just a word on Yannick Sinner. He's brought the Gucci bag out, yes. but I noticed the straps. They. They're meant to, I believe, show s support for Ukraine. Right. But to me, it comes off as a little bit as a Gucci times IKEA collaboration. It really does. It looks like they've seen the memes, which of Holger carrying his IKEA bag, and then it's <laughs> um, Yannick Sinner carrying his Gucci bag. I feel like it's almost like a, a brand mashup, like something you'd put into, you know, some sort of a, um, a virtual reality machine, and that's what's come out and, and plugged out a ChatGPT situation. But I mean, goodness. Do you um, like it? Do you think it's a? Do you think it's a step on an improvement from the showing at Wimbledon? I mean, I'm not sure if I was Ukrainian. I think that that was necessarily the, the best way to show your support. But if I shopped at IKEA, you know, they've recently opened one in Copenhagen, and if they stopped something similar, I'm pretty sure I'd go and pick it up. That's all I can say on it, Joel. And Chris, just a final word on John Isner. His career is now over. Lost to Michael Moe in round two. Ben Shelton and Chris Eubanks, I believe, were in attendance. And what a, what a fitting end, wasn't it? He ended his singles career on a last set tiebreak. I mean, that is rather fitting, but it is a shame that he lost it, obviously. Kind of the king of the tiebreaks himself. Um, With two sets up as well. Yeah, that's going to sting, especially against someone who hasn't had that sort of experience ever before. Um, I want to clarify, how do we say um, Michael's surname? Are we saying it M Mo? M-O? Or what are we going for there? <laughs> it's Michael Mo, Michael I believe. Mo. Okay, cool. So Michael Mo, I think he obviously did very well to overcome him. But, I mean, Isner's going to be wishing that he got one more chance because I reckon him versus Jack Draper would have got onto a night session on probably Armstrong. Mm. Um, but still a fantastic career. More aces than anyone else ever, I believe. Um, just not on not on the, his final day, but nevertheless... Um, it is a shame, isn't it? I mean, he had match point. You could have seen it would have been a very fitting way, I think, to go out against Jack Draper, potentially in a night match, in a night match session. So I could have seen that, but hey-ho. I mean, he's served over 14,400 aces in his career. So uh, he can take that home, but certainly a stinging loss to end on um, that I think will probably stay with him for quite some time to come. Yeah, it is definitely um, a big shame. I was just going to say, um, I've just been joined at my table by a couple of members of the NYPD and I thought they were coming to ask me to stop recording, but they're just having lunch. Um, quite a late lunch over here at 4.35, <laughs> but um, we can continue recording. Ooh, well, okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we will be taking a look back on all the action from day three at Flushing Meadows. So do not go anywhere. Our US Open coverage is sponsored by AG1. AG1 is the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. 
If a comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash tennis weekly. That's drinkag1.com forward slash tennis weekly. Check it out. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by AG1. And now we're going to move on to day three. Well, I say we're going to move on to day three. Actually, we're going to finish wrapping up day four. Chris, we had to we had to stop because you were so desperate to get to Rublev Monfils, which was on grandstand, packed grandstand. Were you able to make it in and find a seat? Because it it didn't look like there was a lot of room left. No, my dedication to the pod um, meant that I got there a little bit too late to get a seat, but I did get to kind of take in the opening moments of that. And I mean, I've never seen that court that packed since I've been here. And as far as grandstand tennis goes, I mean, is there an equivalent of a packed grandstand? It was um, it was mad, not a seat to be had. So I didn't get to watch the match. Um, but the question we put out, and I think... Uh, Joel, you also asked this question on Twitter, was, was this the right scheduling? Um, It did seem a bit odd when we saw it initially, and we talked about that earlier on. I know, because you think, like, you know, Rublev's a fan favourite, Monfils is a big entertainer. I wondered, yeah, whether it should be on Louis Armstrong or Arthur Ashe. I understand that, you know, those tickets are not cheap either, and you need to almost kind of spread your talent to make sure that there's it feels even, I guess, across all of the like all of the stadia. But um, yeah, I did wonder whether, you know, it could have been maybe promoted to uh, to, you know, who knows, maybe a night session match or even, yeah, just a match on Ash or Armstrong, given get more fans in. Yeah, definitely. And I think the way that um, it works on Armstrong is that if you just have a a grounds pass, you're able to go and watch the matches in the upper tier is completely unreserved. So it is a great grounds ticket. And I mean, they would have filled that easily given how much attention was there. And, you know, maybe it should have swapped with um, Sinner, Sonigo. Sinner is a big draw, but these are two big draws. And (laughs) I think we know based on the scheduling that having some of the the players who are maybe on the, the, towards the end of their career, you know, like Stan was lighting up court 17, we had Murray on Armstrong and uh, Armstrong on um, Arthur Ashe and you feel like fans love to see it so maybe that would have a bit more of a draw than the cinema so I would question it as well um, and then maybe <laughs> would have got a seat Joel <laughs> well exactly you maybe should have questioned it and then someone going out you can take their seat but um, yeah no, it was a good result for Rublev who I think has had a few iffy results um, over the North American hardcore swing but seems to be back in Grand Slam mode um, he came through against Gelman Feast in four sets, 6-4, 6-3, 3-6-6-1. I mean, you, you were there for a little bit and then you moved on. What else did you see for the rest of the day? Because I had my eye on Sophia Kennan versus Daria Kasakina. Kennan really should have won that match. Ooh, she was, that was tough. Yeah, she was doing so Kenin. well, a set up, and it looked like she was going to be seeing that out in straight sets. But Kasakina is such a fighter. Um, we also had Onzi Bor as well come through in another tight battle against a very handy Linda Noskova. Greet Minnan as well, continuing a great her great run of form. Um, and Jessie Pagula as well um, in straight sets. Did you catch much of the women's action or were you sticking to the to the men's action? Well, I did get to see Cam Norrie having heard sort of the noise from his court. So that was nice. I saw a little bit of that and that was pretty straightforward in the end. He yeah. was playing very well. 
um, caught a glimpse of uh, Dan Evans. I watched a couple of sets there where he turned it around and uh, he was pretty agitated on court. Um, I think he was just annoyed with the first set. What, but Yeah, what went on with that first set? Because after that, it seemed very plain sailing. I think he was just quite irritated, to be honest. Um, it was... A, a time when the Isner final matches were on the court next door and then it was Sox final match and Coco was on so I mean a lot of people were watching the match on the other side um, so they could actually see both courts and where I was sitting so I think he was just kind of a bit um, finding it hard to settle um, in that first set but he played brilliantly um, and then yes I did stick to the women's match so I went and watched the ONS match um, that was on at the same time as the Kasakina match and the Pagula match. That was very late over on um, Grandstand after the Rublev match. And I mean, Ons, she's not feeling well. She certainly isn't getting it done quickly. That was um, a, a bit of an epic mm. over there. But I was super impressed with Noskova in terms of her talent. I mean, she's a lot taller than I thought she would be and fantastic off the ground. Great sliding into the shots, which is not something you see a lot of the tall girls doing. So... Um, on escape luckily there and I think when we talked about how her kind of slam season would end um, we thought maybe it would be a little bit of a, a letdown there but she's finding a way to win and um, that's what Kennan couldn't do last night so getting a win at this stage of a slam is all you can do really I feel like we spoke about Ons Yabor in our, in our preview and you're a little bit hesitant to kind of give her uh, your your backing off the back of the, the Noskova, Noskova result the fact that she is finding a way to win ugly in these earlier rounds. Is this giving you more confidence that maybe Onzibor could, you know, live up to what she did at Wimbledon? Or do you still think like she needs to go up a few more gears in order to, you know, make me believe a bit more? She definitely has to go up through the gears. Um, I haven't seen her play live since, I think it was since Rome last year, where she didn't play very well against Maria Sakari and then turned it around. And it's a similar sort of thing, but her off the ground, I think her game is, is way better than it was. Um, and, and she hits the ball so cleanly and very differently to how a lot of other players play. It's so, such a natural looking shot. Um, so I, I just think it's all about whether she's um, able to play her game on the day. And we've talked about this before, that it is kind of um, heartless lead tennis. And for me, I thought there would be a bit more of a hangover from Wimbledon in terms of um, whether she's able to kind of pick herself up, have the motivation again, let's do it, let's do it again, you know, let's try and make the dream happen. And um, it seems like she's she's building her way in and she really wants to be here and she's fighting for every point. Um, it just hasn't been the cleanest tennis so far, but we all seen like how she's able to turn up in, you know, some of those big matches. You were at the Sabalenka match and I mean, that was tennis from a different planet. So she can go through the gears. It's just, will she go through them in time? Yeah, I agree. And I do wonder if, you know, we almost need to see her against like a, a player with a similar sort of ranking to her. And maybe that will bring the best out of her. But um, I think it is a good sign, though, that she is winning ugly. But yeah, she definitely needs to step it up. I mean, just before we do go back to uh, to day three and talk about Stefanos Sissipas and Kasparud, I just want to mention a couple of the other men's results we had. We had Daniel Medvedev come through Chris O'Connell uh, from Australia in four sets. I want to bring this up, Chris, because I did see on social media Medvedev and the US crowd uh, were um, having some back and forth once again. Um, I saw two ladies with some beers in hand. Uh, they were just sort of walking, ambling towards their seats. Medvedev not happy about it. 
and uh, you know muttered muttered something towards them. But what I quite liked, true American fashion, uh, they responded, and one of the one of the spectators blew <laughs> blew Daniel Medvedev a kiss. So uh, I feel like there's no there's no love lost there between the crowd and Daniel Medvedev. But it's it's so great to see. I feel. Yeah, I think he's obviously had a bit of a history here, but I mean, it sums up the crowd. I mean, it's almost like they're, uh, you're there to entertain them and they're here to have a good time. So I think it can get lost in translation when, you know, it comes to people moving around it's the course. It's not Wimbledon. It's not Wimbledon, it, is it? It really isn't. Um, it's almost like a they're kind of a gladiatorial arena and outside of it you're at kind of like a, a Weatherspoons. <laughs> <laughs> well exactly i mean uh, i mean that's to me that sounds like the best uh but an expensive the environment though, Joel. yeah yeah i know i that's... did look it up 22 dollars for that signature Ooh. cocktail here that the Ooh. honey juice i hope you're not expensing any of that to the tennis weekly podcast because yeah we, i don't i think we'd go bankrupt very very quickly um, oh you should have told me that before i got here <laughs> <laughs> but um i mean let's look back on on day three now um because there were some big shocks on the men's side, particularly in the top eight seeds, Stefanos Sissipas and Kasper Ruud both crashing out. Let's start with Kasper Ruud because you watched um, you watched a bit of this match. He's seeded fifth here. He was finalist at the US Open last year. He lost in five sets to the Chinese world number 67, Zhang, uh, Zhi Zhen Zhang. I just want to call him, my nickname for him is, is Triple Z. Um, tri- triple Z, Triple Z, um, Triple Z. We're in America, Triple Z. Triple Z, Triple Z, right? Um, he got the biggest win of his career. I think he's a bit of a prospect. I mean, he's got great serve, big power from the back of the court, but this was disappointing from Rude. He's now lost to nine different players this year, ranked outside the top 50. This season has definitely been a come down from, from the highs of, of last season. Yes, he has reached a Grand Slam final uh, this year. But regardless of that, do you think like this is just another example of, of, yeah, how his season hasn't really probably panned out the way he would have wanted? Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. And the difficulty is, it seems like he wasn't gearing himself up for a great year. I think in press, he said um, it wasn't a year he'd hoped, but he, he was pretty honest after last year. Yeah. I have to prepare myself for a tough year. And um, is that the right mentality to have, though, like going into the new year, fresh, fresh start? Should you not be looking to kind of kick on as opposed to kind of being like two finals? Let's yeah. win one. You know, not, I, not I agree, kind of go, I think. oh, I'm going to go into a lull period now. I've, I've had my peak and now I'm going to have a trough. Yeah, it's definitely an odd one in that respect. And I would say it's also quite unusual you know the preseason he had he was in the kind of the rougher tour of South America I believe so he actually did his preseason after the Australian Open so there's definitely yeah. lessons to be learned there and I think that when it comes to you know overall um, how he'll look at this year I think he maybe has been a bit hampered by the expectation that people have um, of him and he did mention kind of all the tennis twitter all the expectation and all of the the commentary around him because you know he didn't have any form going into Roland Garros then he reached another final and then it's very hard to know what Casper kind of is going to turn up um as far as his game's concerned Joel I mean he's obviously got the game I mean I saw him at Boston I've seen him play multiple times this year he's a he is a fantastic player it's just so surprising like why does he lose to these players that he's clearly much more um well not necessarily talented but clearly is much more highly ranked than them 
I mean, looking at his last eight Grand Slam results, I know we talk about the the lack of consistency I feel he shows. This is this is what it reads. Round two, final, round two, final, round two, final, round two, round two. How can you make sense of that given he's such a quality player? I just, I can't really, I can't find a reason to understand like the hot and cold that he so evidently has blown over the last two years um, at Grand Slam level. I honestly can't really understand it either, um, especially because if you look at his actual strokes, he's very technically competent. There's no sort of technical weaknesses yeah. there. It's not like he's kind of a sit to pass where he will make unforced errors. Um, his shots sometimes do break down and he'll miss some of them and then he'll make some fantastic shots. So it does feel like it is a little bit on the mental side, but I think he does have a great attitude when it comes to losses. Um, but maybe he's a bit too ready to kind of accept that you know, you don't always win matches against players who are um, ranked below you, but it feels like he maybe has allowed himself a little bit to mm. not necessarily expect himself to do something massive this year and win a slam because um, if you don't really think you're going to do it, um, belief is the most important thing in tennis. And just before we move on to Stefanos Sissipas, um, you know, Kasper Ruud was, of course, defending big points here. It looks like he's going to be in a really big battle now to get to the end of season ATP finals. Do you expect to see him there? I'm not sure he's going to complete the season, if I'm completely honest. I think it has been a very difficult season for him. It's kind of been one which started with a real peak and then it's kind of dwindled out a little bit. Um, we can talk about whether there are kind of distractions on court, off court. We've had coaching changes. Um, he's obviously happy in a new relationship. Um, but it doesn't necessarily feel like the results have corresponded with the different coaching changes and changes in his personal life um, for the better. So it could be a case at this stage of his career that there is a little bit of um, uh, maybe it's um, a letdown kind of at the fact that he hasn't been able to um, kind of win a slam and obviously some of the next gen are coming through. It, it is surprising because he has got the game. We talked about it with Casper as well. They have the game to win slams. Um, it's just not necessarily the mentality that's required um, and the unwavering sort of self-belief. And another top eight seed that went out was Stefanos Sissipas, also in five sets against Dominic Stricker, uh, the Swiss world number 128. Again, similarly kind of confusing here, I guess, because Stefanos Sissipas record at hard court grand slams chris at the australian open he is 121 lost six at the u.s open he is 1-6 lost six again what what is going on there in terms of sissipas is, is it the fact that you know the u.s open is at the end of the season and it's it's a long season and that's having an effect on him but what why do you think he is going out also like and not fulfilling his potential at a slam i feel like he should be doing a lot better at yeah, and just to clarify, listeners, I actually just answered the last question for Sitsipas, so I'm happy to <laughs> say it again, but um, <laughs> I definitely got confused there. But no, I think it is the case that, um, kind of as I said, that the, the nature of the game is so mental, but in terms of the, the actual side of the US Open, um, it doesn't lend itself that well to kind of the players who mix up their shots a lot. Um, I think... Like someone like me talked about this, Ash Barty, uh, her coach said that she'd never be able to win there. But I guess maybe it's a bit different this year because we just saw Grigor Dimitrov slice his way through a match against Andy Murray. So um, it's hard to know what the conditions are, are really doing um, 
for sits pass here but you know we've seen this with a few other players where they don't get the the great results here and there's always slams in places where you don't bring out your best in your tennis and it just might be one of those places for for him yeah and I, it was an interesting tweet i read from christopher clary who uh is new york times tennis correspondent he suggested that Stefanos Sissipas and his career is at a crossroads. He's 25 and a two-time major finalist, happy in personal life. We've seen that with, with Paola Badosa and has clarified coaching situation with father in the background. Although I feel like that's a little bit up in the air now with the, the reports that he's dumped Philippoussis again. But new generation led by Alcaraz continues to impose itself and he needs to hit another gear soon or be left behind. Do you understand those sentiments? Do you feel like we're in a really delicate moment for Sissipas given you know what we've seen before him him not being really there at the moment do you feel like there's this this sense that he could be left behind by the generation I guess below him you know players like Alcaraz, Sinner, Runa as well? Yeah the hunger is real with the generation um, if we say generation below <laughs> generation him, Z it's, it's generation years, Z five years maybe yeah whatever it is but um <laughs> he's not millennial um no, I think it's um, it's a case the hunger is so real and, and they're playing some great tennis and it's getting harder. You've got a very kind of strange situation where you've got players now playing into their late 30s who are still picking up slams um, and kind of having great results at slams. So you're competing kind of above and below in the age bracket. And there is always a risk of that if you haven't kind of um, got that win early on like Carlos has done. Um, and I think that's probably true for kind of Zverev as well. There's a few people who are in that similar sort of camp and... Um, for me, I think that you, I would never say that someone's opportunity is, is gone. I think there's a risk um, that this next season has to be a, a big one and he has to really decide what he's looking to do. And I don't know, will will Sitsipas get a slam, Joel? That's a, that's a tricky one, right? Yeah, and it's, I don't, well, if he does, it's not going to be at the US Open. I don't think it's going to be at Wimbledon. I can really feel like he's only got two bites at the cherry at the moment and to me that's either the French Open who you know he's he's obviously come painfully close there you know against against Djokovic and then the Australian Open as well where he's got a, a he's got a great record so feels like you know he's really well set up arguably for the first two slams of the year but come into the second half of the season I know he got that title in in Los Cabos but ATP 250 on hard that's not good enough for a player at Stefanos Sissipas's level and ranking no it isn't it really isn't and um yeah I think it is probably you know you think that final same in a similar way for sort of Zverev and yeah if you Dominic don't team, get that yeah, yeah Dominic team if you, if you do or you don't get that title um it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna have a successful rest of career um but it is what everyone wants everyone wants a slam um Emma Raducanu obviously got a slam as well um and after that, it's hard to hard to back it up. And if you don't get one, it's hard to chase. So unless you're winning multiple slams and making it look as easy as Djokovic does, um, <laughs> it definitely doesn't get any easier, um, win or lose. It is almost like the longer it goes on, the more it becomes a thing. More pressure, yeah. The more pressure, you know, we talk, we saw that, I think, you know, with Wimbledon and on Zubor, you know, she's now been in, what three is it three three grand slam finals yeah, and yes it is and you can see as i say the pressure there and uh arguably maybe Stefanos Sispas and even Casper Ruud maybe even on that on that path but um yeah they are both out i mean we did have Tommy Paul come through in five sets uh Yuri Vasily is also through i wanted to bring that up chris because he holds a 2 and 0 oh 
head-to-head record against Novak Djokovic. And with Kasper Ruud and Holger Rune out and the draw seemingly getting easier and easier for Novak Djokovic, I, you can tell, I'm clutching at straws here in thinking, is there ever any challenges? Are there any barriers for Djokovic to get to another final? Well, the head-to-head um, doesn't lie. Uh, head-to-head doesn't lie. W- would you say he was the favourite in that one? Um, mm. I think he's probably the favourite every time he walks onto the court, but um, <laughs> especially at slams. I mean, if it was kind of in, um, I don't know, like in a uh, his home tournament in Serbia, you know, sometimes he hasn't always kind of got the job done there. Um, maybe it'd be different, but... Uh, winning winning two sets against Djokovic is a very different um, feat to winning winning three. Very and true. I mean, winning one is doesn't seem as hard as it used to. You know, we've mm. seen we see him drop sets here and there, but uh, I don't think he's going to win three. Um, <laughs> he'll want that head to head to turn around though, because you don't want people retiring saying I have a winning record against the best tennis player <laughs> that ever lived. Very true, very true. And the French are doing well as well. Adrian Manorino through to the third round. He's having a great season. Benjamin Bonzi as well, taking out Chris Eubanks in four sets. So the French that was win. my pick, Joel. Well, you're, yeah, here's your pick. So They're dropping um, like flies. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, moving on to the women, though, we did have straight sets victories for Coco Goff against Mira Andreeva and uh, Iga Swiatek as well. But we need to talk about, Chris, one of the results so far of the tournament, Caroline Wozniacki against Petra Kvitova. A lot of people writing Caroline Wozniacki off going into this. I could I could just tell by the collector set predictions. So many people, in, including ourselves, I think, um, had her going out in round two. But she defeated Kvitova 7-5-7-6. What did you make of this result? Because as I said, I don't think anyone was really expecting this. I mean, I was I was courtside. I had some fabulous tickets for this one. And this was really a match that I wanted to make sure that I was on um, Ash for. Um, I think it was just a case that she was really just so on song. And I did kind of predict that we all predicted that she probably would, wouldn't win this one. Um and it is a case so often that you don't know sort of what Petra Kvitova is going to turn up. She hasn't got the best record in New York for Petra. Um, but the key thing for me about Wozniacki is that her serve was phenomenal. And that forehand, she is hitting the ball. It's no longer that push that sort of sits up. Um, and it makes you wonder, you know, if she'd have made the adaptation to her game um, to be more aggressive early in her career, would she have more slams? Because... Um, she was really piling the pressure on with that forehand and normally it was just kind of a get it back in court sort of shot and I mean I was um, I was blown away by just how assured she was and how it felt like she'd never been away and it feels like um, I mean if she maybe she needed the break but also um, if she hadn't uh, have had the break I mean would she have picked up something else who knows do you feel like aggression and more aggression to her game is the one thing that she has brought with her comeback and has that surprised you because I feel like before maybe she was a little bit more of a a counter puncher type but as you said maybe with the she's showing particularly with that forehand that she can you know she can play a brand of aggressive tennis that that arguably maybe wasn't there in in her career pre-comeback I think it is making kind of all the difference. Um, I think being aggressive and kind of taking on matches is the way that you win them these days. Um, I mean, count that as the Dimitrov result, but Murray did Mm. try and take on that match. He just wasn't able to um, get it done. The ball was on his racket in many ways. And um, I feel like Wozniacki has come back with a mission. You know, she has come back 
not just to get the ball in the court. She's come back to win slams. Clearly, that is her goal. And she's so focused on what she needs to do, which is play even better than she did before and play more aggressively. Um, and it is delivering. I think a player like um, Kvitova previously on a great day could maybe have hit her off the court if you was kind of if you were feeding her, for example, you know that soft ball in the mid court. Um, so I think she has added aggression to her game. That is the big difference because um, that backhand is rock solid. She can run for miles. That's that's not changed in the time that she's had away. She's as fit as ever. Um, but it's the mentality I think where she's really is so driven um, to do this, and her game is kind of demonstrating that. Mm. And hopefully, yeah, she's going to be rising up the rankings, maybe to a point that she doesn't need wildcards in the near future. One other player, Chris, I just want to talk about um, before we look at um, the rest of the action, as well as previewing uh, today's play. Uh, Daria Saville, who played Igor Fiontek, you tweeted that without injuries, she is a top 20 player. I just want to get you very quickly, two minutes. Why, why, do, you, why do you think that is? My elevator pitch on Daria Saville. Yes. Well, I love her tenacity. I think that she has um, so many great kind of shots to her armour. I think she's a great mover. Um, I love her slice. She does mix up the pace really nicely. She And she uses it to kind of great effect to neutralise points. Um, she's also a great competitor. Um, I think we've seen her play so many three-set matches where she kind of finds a way to win. Um, and against Eager, uh, a player who is obviously the form player, the world number one, um, the defending champion, she wasn't at all intimidated by it. And just a couple of poor shot choices where she went for kind of a bit of a higher, loopier ball cost her that second set. Otherwise, it was highly competitive. So for me, she just has that sort of the grit and the game um, that can couldn't well consistently cause top players problems but also help her to beat players that rank below her so that's my pitch and she does have a super cute dog called tofu so that's something else that i quite like about <laughs> I mean, her. She, yeah she is such a personality off the court but yeah i think she's definitely bringing a more serious brand of tennis onto the court and yeah she yeah although she obviously you know she on text still was able to get it done quite quite easily yeah i hope savile can it stay wasn't fit. simple though it wasn't simple yeah, yeah. it wasn't okay. um a breadstick or a bagel and obviously eager started in that form so um, she made a work true. for it. Very true, very true. Um, I mean, looking at uh, play for today, um, lots of Americans on Arthur Ashe. We've got Tommy Paul against Davidovich Fakina. The Battle of the Comebacks, Caroline Wozniacki against Jen Brady. Mertens, Goff. Uh, and then we've got Jair and Djokovic as well in that night session. Um, where are you Where are you looking at today, Chris, in terms of matchups you would like to see? I know I don't think you're going today because you want to save yourself for the Brits tomorrow. Um, yes. But any any matches that that take your fancy on Ash or, or Armstrong or even on the outside courts? Well, I mean, I'm a big Taylor Townsend fan, um, and I loved the fact that she got that win against Haddad Meyer. So for me. That was the match I was thinking, ooh, should I? Should I get a ticket and come and see that one? I think that would be um, really good entertaining um, tennis from both of them because they both are so exciting to watch. Um, I think Tommy Paul's going to have a test. I think that would be entertaining. Yeah. And then the Rebakina, I mean, she's barely hit a tennis ball so far against Chris Dea, who loves the big stage. I mean, who's going to come out of that one, Joel? Tough one. I could 
Maybe see Caster going I can see an upset. for an I upset can. there. Yeah, yeah. She's been playing some very, very good tennis. I've also noted Iga Swiatek. She's got her token. I feel her token Louis Armstrong Day session match um, against. She's Paula had two. Fire. I oh, saw she had there. two. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's what the big debate is at the moment. Is um, that this doesn't happen to other sort of top players who are no, number one. I mean, um, she can't get an, uh, an Ash Billing. Well, maybe it's it's what two, three tokens in a row. Sorry, I didn't I didn't even realize that. But yeah, she's got Kaya Yuvan qualifier. Man. Arena, Tiafo, yeah, there's some lots of interesting, lots of interesting matches. Um, ben Shelton, Aslan Karatsev as well. So um, yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. Before we end though, we need to just very quickly talk collector set because me and Kim have given our predictions. Um, some of them have already been bad, uh, bad to shocking uh, in my case. Mm. Um, you need to help us out. What predictions are you giving us for the six picks? Alcaraz, Sissipas, Paul, Von Drusova, Mukova, Wozniacki. So technically, can I change them now? No. Um, I'm, I'm th- okay. Well, I'm banning you from doing that. <laughs> okay, I did send them ahead <laughs> to of save, time. To save my face, basically. Well, I do think that Alcaraz is going to win. I think Sitsipas, um was going to get to round three. I thought Eubanks would take him out. So that was already wrong. I've never announced them when they've been wrong already, Joel. It's actually quite soul-destroying. <laughs> Tommy Paul is still on for a quarterfinal. Von Drusova for a fourth round. I think she's looking pretty good for it. Yeah, I think she's looking better than round four, but yeah. Yeah, I think Townsend needs to take out Mukova for me today <laughs> to, to save me. And then Wozniak is already done. Uh, far better than my expectations of around two. I was silly to question it, but um, yeah, I think uh, like to say it's going to be um, who does the least badly, Joel. I absolutely think you're right there, and uh, I'm already nervous about the slam spoon of shame. But um, we we shall see. Um, but we're going to end our round two catch up there, uh, listeners. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. We did a little bit of live on-site ambience, which I hope you really enjoyed, and we've been back in the virtual studio for the second half. So I hope you have enjoyed all the coverage. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action still to come from Flushing Meadows at the US Open. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media and see all of the updates from New York. And you can email the show as well. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can purchase exclusive Tennis Weekly merch at etsy.com slash shop slash tennis weekly podcast you can email the show tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website tennisweekly.co.uk and we will be back next time at tennis weekly hq for our round three us open catch-up sponsored by ag1 so i hope you can join us for that but in the meantime it's goodbye from chris goodbye and it's goodbye from me we'll see you again soon